is the bottom half of the world's population. Now, when many of us think about being rich, uh, those are the people we think about, right? We think about the Bill Gateses and the, the Carlos Slims and the people like that, the Thurston Howell the Thirds, you know, if you will, uh, people like that who we know and we demonstrate as rich. But the truth is, we, you know, we think about this almost unmeasure, immeasurable wealth, um, but we all have a different definition of rich, don't we? In fact, why don't you do this? Turn to the person next to you and tell them what your definition of rich is. What does it mean to be rich? Go ahead. You can say it out loud. Just go ahead. You know, maybe for you, your definition of rich is a, a certain amount of money. You know, if I had this much money, uh, I would definitely be rich. Or maybe for you, it's something about a lifestyle. It's something about a number of houses or a, a place that you live, or there's, there's some um, material thing involved in that. You know, but what, whatever your definition of rich is, I'm pretty sure I can guess that it's more than you have now. Right? I mean, that's usually our definition of rich. People, when we think about rich, that's where most of us are. Even if we can't really define it, if we can't put a number around it, uh, most of us know we're not it, right? We're not rich, and it's somewhere beyond what we earn or what we have accumulated. Uh, Most of us are always looking to take that next step up the economic ladder. We want to buy that nicer house or that that, uh, faster car or, um, you know, move into that better neighborhood or go to that better school or send our kids to that better school or um, even if it's just accumulating more money in our checkings account or savings account or our 401k, whatever it is, um, we have a fixation almost as a society uh, with wealth. I mean, have you ever noticed how fascinated with and focused on wealth and, and, and being rich we are. I mean, some, some more than others, but um, some people are very driven by hopes of being rich. And some people make this a consuming goal in their life. I mean, <clears throat> have you ever seen the ABC show Shark Tank? Anybody? You watch that show? A few people watch that show. Uh, it, it's five hosts, rich and successful people, um, that uh, form a panel of sorts. And these hosts sit and listen to uh, these inventors or these business people come up and pitch ideas to them about how they want to expand their business or how they want to create a new product. And and what they're hoping for is one of these five wealthy and successful people to invest in their business so they can take that next step with this product. And so they come and show this idea, and their their hope is to get a loan, you know, to get some kind of investment from these these hosts. And again, most of these people are driven by this idea that this product or this idea, this uh, expansion on their business is going to make them rich. But what if I told you today that you're already rich? You might think I'm crazy, okay? But the truth is that no matter where you live, if you're in uh, the central Indiana area and Indianapolis and the surrounds, no matter what you drive, uh, no matter what you make, uh, chances are, by world standards, you're rich. You you see, we live in the richest time, in the richest country in the history of the world. And because of that, most of us, believe it or not, are rich. Now, I don't want to offend you by telling you that, by telling you you're rich, Uh, but I know some of you need some convincing. So so let me give you an example. If you've ever stood in front of a closet full of clothes and thought, I have nothing to wear, you're rich. If you've ever driven your car to the car dealership to trade it for another nicer car, that you have a car that you can drive to the dealership to get another car, uh, you're rich. If you've ever stood in line with your iPhone to get a new iPhone, okay, you're rich. If you have a bedroom 
that your car can sleep in at night so it doesn't get snow and ice on it, you're rich. Or let's look at it like this, okay, seriously, on a global perspective. If you have a household of four or five people, okay, and one of those people can work five days a week and earn enough money to feed, clothe, and house that entire household for seven days a week, by global perspectives, you're rich. I mean, in terms of the rest of the world, if we have a roof over our head and food to eat and we have a car and a computer, we are wealthier than 98% of the planet. In fact, I'll get more specific than that. How about if I told you I had a job for you and I was offering you a job that made $37,000 a year? Uh, would, that, would you take that? Maybe. Would it make you feel rich? Well, probably not. But a salary of $37,000 a year would make you richer than 96% of the people in the world. You would be in the top 4% of wage earners if you make $37,000 a year. And for most of those people, that would be a significant increase. In fact, if you already make $37,000 a year or more, congratulations. You're in the top 4% of wage earners worldwide. You're rich. You feel guilty? I hope not. And that's not my purpose, nor is it the purpose of this series uh, to make you feel guilty. And, and in fact, I hope our time together over the next few minutes and, and over the next three weeks will lead instead to gratitude. You know, gratitude is a change of heart. It's great things start happening when we get, become thankful for what we have, when, when we start uh, showing gratitude. You know, so we're starting this series called The Secret to Being Rich. And what I want you to see right from the start in, in, over these next few weeks is how God is speaking to me and to you directly uh, through Scripture and how we as His children have been given a beautiful opportunity to make an internal difference in the world. As followers of Jesus living in America, we are rich, especially compared uh, to the rest of the world. Uh, and so uh, what I've always said and what I know about many of you is if you're going to be something, you'd like to be good at it, Right? And so if we're going to be rich anyway, why don't we do what we can to get really, really good at being rich? And I don't think there's any better wisdom on this than what comes from Scripture. And so that's where we'll start in 1 Timothy 6 uh, with verse 17. It says this, command those who are rich in this present world. Now, this book, uh, 1 Timothy, is a book written by the Apostle Paul. It's a letter, actually, written by the Apostle Paul to a man named Timothy. Timothy was a younger man. He was kind of Paul's apprentice uh, in ministry. And Timothy lived in a place called Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a town on the coast, a city on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, because of that, it was a big seaport. It was a pretty wealthy place. It was probably one of the wealthiest places in the world at that time. Uh, there was a church in Ephesus. Timothy helped pastor that church in Ephesus. And so Timothy was teaching uh, to a group of very rich uh, men and women. And so uh, Paul is writing to, to him and telling him uh, that, you know, when you encounter these people that are rich in this present world, uh, here's what you need to tell them. And so Paul's talking about people in Ephesus, but is he talking about you and me? Yeah. I mean, I think you can make that leap that if we're in the top 4% of wage earners worldwide, um, we are rich in this present world. And so um, if you have food on your table and a roof over your head, I mean, even if, if you can go out to eat every once in a while, even if it's just Subway, I mean, still, uh, you are rich in this present world. And so, um, you know, God has greater purposes in your life than just your finances. You know, we belong, uh, if, if, if we're Christians in America, we're not just rich in money, that we're rich in Christ. We have Christ in our lives, and that makes us richer than a lot of the world too. And, and that means that God has greater purposes for us and in this church. You know, well, what is it? What is that purpose? Well, we're here to bring glory to God. 
And God wants that from us. He wants us to point people to Jesus and help others find their way back to God. That's our mission as a church. And if you're part of this church, I hope that you'll take that on as your personal mission. It doesn't matter if you're a college student or a high school student or an adult or a middle school student. Um, we exist to help people find their way back to God. And so um, we are rich in finances. We are rich in Jesus. So certainly we are rich in this present world. So what does he tell Timothy to command people? Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. All right, so what, what Paul's saying here is this. He says, you know what? There are two things that tend to happen to people who get rich. People who are rich in this world tend to have a drift towards one of two things. He says uh, they have a drift towards being arrogant, or they have, we, we all know probably wealthy people who are arrogant, right? Thurston Howell III, we think about that. That's who I think about. Uh, nor to put their hope in wealth. Now, these two are very related. All right. When we're arrogant, we're putting our hope in our own skills and abilities. You know, we're trusting that we can do things on our own. We don't need anybody's help. We don't need God's help. Uh, I got this one. Um, that's what it means to be arrogant, right? To put our trust in our own skills, to put our hope in our own skills. Uh, so don't be arrogant, nor should we put our hope in our wealth. So when we put our hope in wealth, obviously, we're saying, you know what? I've got enough money to make this happen. I don't need God. I don't need anybody else's help. So he says... Paul says, tell them not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, uh, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. This is what Paul talked about last week, to put our hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, hold on to that last phrase, everything for our enjoyment. We're going to come back to that in a minute because that's important uh, to this scripture. Okay, so what are we supposed to command? Command that, this is verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to do this. So if we're not to do that, and we're supposed to put our hope in God, this is what he says, verse 18. This is the secret to being rich, all right? This is the whole three-week series uh, hinges on this one verse. We could have waited until week three to tell you the secret, you know, but we're not gonna do that. We're gonna tell you right now. The secret to being rich is this. Command them, command you and me, to do good, okay, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, and to be willing to share. That's it. That's the secret to being rich. And then here's the promise that comes from that, okay? In this way, okay, if this is your priority, Paul says, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So Paul says the secret here to being rich is, is to do good, to be rich in good deeds and be generous and be willing to share. And then that promise is so important. Verse 19 says that doing this will lead us to store up treasure or store up treasure for ourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. So we're preparing for what's to come in the next life. All right, that's what he's saying. We're preparing for what's to come in heaven and so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So Paul says, if you do this, that you're storing up treasure for yourself in heaven, but you're also taking, taking hold of the best life now. All right, so that's the promise that, that we can have a life of purpose and significance, that we can have a life that makes an eternal difference where we're storing up treasure for ourselves in heaven. And so after, over the next three weeks, we're going to look at three, these three specific commands that come right from this scripture in, in verse 18. Uh, we're going to start by talking about today what it means uh, to be generous. You know, what God wants, Paul says, he commands followers of Jesus to be rich in generosity. That's one of the three ways that one of the three secrets to being rich. And yes, uh, I want to tell you right up front, generosity is about money. 
Now, I know that there are people here uh, and people have told me before, well, you can be generous with you know, your, your time, you can be generous with your talent, and that's absolutely true. I know lots of people, lots of you in this room are very generous with your time and with your talent. Uh, but did you know that every time the word generous is used in Scripture, it's talking about money? You know, it's, it's not talking about generous with your time or generous with your talent. It's, it's good to give those things, but Paul right here is talking about generosity and he's talking about cash. He's talking about moolah, the, the gold, the, the dough, the bling, the, the greenbacks. You know, that's what he means. He means dolorous. He, he's talking about giving your money. Jesus wants his followers, people like you and me, to be known as people who are generous in our giving. And last week we talked about uh, one of the reasons for this is that the power that, and influence that money can have on our lives and over our hearts and how money is God's chief competition for your heart and for my heart. And so in Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You, you can't serve both God and money. And as a way of protecting us from the pitfalls of greed, uh, Jesus tells us to give. In Matthew six thirty three, he says, seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and his glory. The challenge was to give first to make it a practice that every time you get paid to give something right off the top. You know, in those days, it was every time you sold something, every time you were able to accumulate some sort of money, you give off the top. We give first to honor God. You know, we give first as a way of acknowledging that it all belongs to Him. It all comes from Him. And so we give back a little bit first. We give, a first, we give first as a way of directing our heart and our faith to be in God and not in money. Now, I know that um, some of you in this room will hear that and you think that's crazy. Like, shouldn't I pay my bills first? I mean, I'm the one that ran them up. They're, they're my responsibility. I mean, but we're, what we're going to see today is that as we give first, as we become, as we give financially, as we become generous, we, we give and contribute to God's redemptive work uh, in this world. You know, we, we give and we help others find their way back to God. Um, I wonder how many of you have read Walter Isaacson's biography of Steve Jobs. Anybody read that? I don't believe a couple of you. I don't blame you. It's 660 pages or something. But a really fascinating look at the life of Steve Jobs. If you read it, you may never buy another Apple product again, by the way. I'm just telling you. Uh, but, but Steve Jobs was the legendary founder of Apple, and he, he died from cancer in 2011. Walter Isaacson wrote this very extensive uh, story of his life. And in that book, there's a story of when Jobs and uh, Bill Gates were on stage together. Now, Bill Gates uh, started and runs, uh, doesn't run, but started Microsoft, and he's one of the richest men in the world. And they don't do this kind of thing very often um, because, honestly, it was a little bit awkward. They didn't really like each other, and Jobs had a particular um, distaste for the way Bill Gates ran his business or, um, and created his software. And so it was very difficult to get them together. But you can actually watch this video on YouTube from 2007 where they were together. Um, but um, they asked each other. One of the most awkward moments in the whole entire conversation was when they asked each other to, to talk about the other's contribution to society. And Bill Gates, uh, even though he didn't particularly like the way Steve Jobs kept his products closed and didn't let other people in, he had very, very nice things about, to say about his eye for design and uh, the way that he insisted on a great user experience and uh, just kind of gushed about Steve Jobs. And when they asked Jobs, it was very awkward silence in the room. Um, but then he said this. He said, I, I think the world is a better place because Bill realized his goal isn't to be the richest guy in the cemetery. He said, as you, and so as you might know, Bill and Melinda Gates have... Uh, given away more money than anyone in the history of the world uh, for the good of other people. And it's ironic that Steve Jobs would say that about Bill Gates because, quite honestly, Jobs wasn't known for being very generous. He didn't give a lot of his money away. In fact, I, I don't say this to be mean, but I think you could say that Steve Jobs ended up one of the richest guys in the cemetery. And it's sad. 
And that's why Jesus says, don't put your hope in wealth. Don't live for money. There's no hope in money. And Jesus said, Jesus said, follow me, live for God, serve God, serve the Lord, and give and invest in his kingdom. And then the Apostle Paul mirrors his words in 1 Timothy 6. He reminds us that um, if you get a chance this week, read this entire uh, chapter because there's so much that leads up to verse 17 that sets it up. Um, And you'll see that there. But he reminds us that we didn't bring anything into this world and we can't take anything out of this world. And then so he goes on to say, don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in wealth. It's so uncertain. He says, put your hope in God. He is the one who provides everything we need. Be rich in generosity. Make an investment in things that matter in this life and more importantly in the next one. I had the opportunity yesterday to, do a, to perform a funeral service for um, a grandmother of a good friend of mine. And uh, Molly was her name, the grandmother's name. She passed away at 83 uh, last week. And um, as I usually do, I'll get, I get the family together a couple days before the funeral service and just getting to know her. I'd say, tell me some stories. Well, you know, what was Molly like? Tell, tell me things you remember about her. And as the family started to tell stories, about every other story was about how generous she was, that, that she would always keep extra food around the house. So when the grandkids came over, they knew where to find the secret stash that was set aside for the grandkids and, and how at Christmas, they wanted the whole family to come over and they'd always let them open their gifts first and they always bought above and beyond. And there was a story about how Molly uh, surprised her kids on Mother's Day by buying bicycles for her kids, even though it was Mother's Day. And there was this family, there were probably, there are, there are two kids and about six grandkids and everybody in the room had practically had, had, had lived or had lived in a house that Molly and her husband had owned. She'd either given them away or sold them at a deep discount or provided a loan for them to buy them. And so um, every story I heard was about how generous she was. And what it helped me to realize that was that whenever I go to a funeral, nobody ever talks about what nice stuff people had. You know, the one thing I'm going to remember about Dave was he had that really nice car. Do you remember that? Or, you know, the thing I'll remember about her is she always kept her house so perfectly, and she had all those really nice figurines uh, scattered around her house. And that's the thing that I just remember so lovingly about that. The people don't say that, right? They talk about how generous they are and how they invest in other people. And it just hits me time and time and time again. And even though we don't like to be reminded of it, like our days here are numbered. And generosity through your life and in your life now can result in seeing people in heaven that we wouldn't see otherwise. And think about it. What if your generosity could play a part in that? You know, God has blessed me and he's blessed you with financial resources. And his command for me to be rich and to give to his work reminds me of two things. And there's two things about money that I think we can be reminded of uh, through this. And these are in your worship program. If you want to take notes or follow along, you can do that. Number one is this. Money is a tool. Money is a tool. You know, what do you do with a tool? You use it to build things and you use it to fix things, right? Uh, You know, you don't usually buy tools just to keep them sitting around in your garage and uh, see how many tools you can end up with. I'm going to see how many wrenches I can accumulate. That's not what you do. Uh, Most people do. A few people do. I know a few people do that. Most people don't accumulate tools to accumulate them. They accumulate them to use them. Money, in the same way, it's a tool that God provides, You know, with what he's provided you, there's an expectation that you're going to put that to good use, that you're going to take your money and you're going to build some things and you're going to fix some things. And now now part of that money is is providing for your needs. There's no doubt about it. Part of it is providing for your enjoyment. Remember, in 1 Timothy 6, uh, Paul says that God provides everything for our enjoyment. So there's no question about that. But it also means that you offer it, you use it, 
to generously support God's work in this world. And when you know that you can use it and you're willing to give it, it can be incredibly effective. I mean, money is, can be used to build eternal things. It's a really, really good tool. Over the past week, many of you have probably received your, your uh, giving statements from Genesis Church. If you gave to Genesis in 2013, hopefully you received a giving statement. And I, I just want to thank you so much for your generosity to Genesis in 2013. Because of your investment and your giving, uh, people are finding their way back to God. You know, people are getting baptized. We baptized 45 people last year across both of our campuses. Uh, new campuses are being launched. Churches are being planted. And ministries are receiving support in places like Indianapolis and Cincinnati and Haiti and Ukraine and Central Asia. And they're all receiving financial support and our prayers. Your generosity is advancing the mission of this church. And because of it, we'll have the privilege of seeing great things this side of heaven. But some of those investments we won't even see until we reach glory. I mean, trust me, those will be even greater. Money is a tool. Number two is this, money is a test. So it's a tool, money is also a test. Whatever money we have, however much or however little you have, it's a test. It's a test of what we think or believe about God. Now, it's not so much a pass or fail test, like you might see in school, but more like a, like a litmus test. You might take in chemistry. You know, it's a, it's a gauge. It, 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 it helps us, you know, the way we use or handle or invest our money is a, an indicator of where our heart is. And so ask yourself, is my heart set on God and his kingdom? Or is it set on you and your kingdom? You know, Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Money is a test of the heart. And so here's God's plan and God's desire for you and me. He, he wants our hearts to be focused on him. Uh, he wants you and me to live for him. And he wants people who are rich in generosity. And here's why we have to be generous. Because God is the most generous giver. You know, God gave. He, he, he gives. He not only gives us everything that we need, but he gave his only son. And he wants us to be people who are rich in generosity. He, he said that uh, to be generous is his will for you and, and for me, that we would be generous. And Jesus said, seek his kingdom first. So uh, I was talking to a friend this week, and uh, she was in uh, this building actually uh, volunteering. And uh, she asked what we were talking about this weekend. I said, well, we're talking about giving. And she goes, oh, I have a great giving story. She said, uh, when I met my husband before we were married, uh, he was giving 20% of his income to the church. And he was making six figures, and he was giving 20% of his income to the church. And when I found this out, I was flabbergasted. I looked and I said, how are we ever going to live if you give 20% of your income away? It just wasn't in her DNA, you know, it was in his DNA. That was just what he did. Um, he believed that, you know, being generous meant you give away 20%. To her, the idea was absurd. Like, who would ever give that much money away? And the truth is that we all have different ideas about what it means to be generous. And so when Paul says, be rich in generosity, we, we need to talk about what this might look like for you. You know, with the time we have left, that's what we're going to do. There's, there's something from these words for, from Paul for all of us, I believe. Now, wherever we are on the generosity scale, we need to ask ourselves, what does it mean to be generous? And if you were here a year ago, we did a series called The Ladder, and we talked about how even in being generous, there's always a step to take. You know, for wherever we are on that ladder, there's another step that we can take, another rung up the ladder. And so what's my step? Now, that's what we want to ask over the next few minutes. What's my step? Or to be more specific, how do I get started or how do I grow in this area of generosity? And so I want to talk about three ways, uh, no matter where you are on the ladder, that you can grow in your generosity. Number one is this. You can become an initial giver. Okay, if an initial giver is someone, a Christian, who turns the corner and makes a decision to start giving. 
It's someone who, who is not given anything or not given anything on a regular basis, and you decide to start giving something. And so if you don't give anything to your church now or you don't give on a regular basis, would you consider becoming an initial giver? Someone who gives first, gives consistently, and gives in a measurable way. See, here's the really cool part. You know, last week, if you were here, uh, Paul said that, that God wants your heart, right? He doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And, and, and the fact that we can give first and give consistently is an indication of what's going on in your heart. You know, when you start giving, especially when it's financially challenging to do so, it means that you're ready for God to do more in you. Now, I know there are people here right now, and you're listening to this, and you can't even believe what you're thinking. And I know this because I've been where you are. And you're thinking, that's crazy. Could I really give to God? Could I really give to the church? I've been so hurt by the church before. I, I don't know where the money goes. I don't know that it's a good investment. Uh, I can barely pay my bills as it is anyway. You think about giving, though, and you think about how much you're growing and how much you're trusting. And when you start giving to a church, what you're doing is you're, you're loosening your grip on this value system that we have in our culture that says everything you earn is for your enjoyment and your pleasure. You're, you're acknowledging what's happening in your heart. You're, you're demonstrating that you're, you have faith in Jesus and not in wealth. And so if you're a Christian and call Genesis your church and you're not giving regularly, I want to challenge you to begin to give something on a regular basis to the ministry at Genesis Church. Now, here's why I believe an investment in Genesis is a good idea. It's not because I work here. I can tell you that because I gave to this church long, long before I ever started working here. But lives are being changed here. We're growing. I mean, as a church, uh, our, our attendance, weekly attendance has increased about 20% over last year, over this time last year. Um, at this campus in Carmel, it's even greater than that. Our attendance is growing faster than that. We're, we're drawing people who've never been to church or who've been away from church for a long, long time. You know, their hearts are being drawn into a relationship with God through the services that we have on Sunday mornings, through the, the groups that we offer here, through the ministries of Genesis Church. And your giving is allowing us to do that. You know, the needs are being met. You know, we're feeding people, we're, we're, we're providing school supplies, we're sending missionaries all over the world, we're planting churches. We, we work really, really hard to be good stewards of the money that you trust us with at Genesis. And if you ever have any questions about how that money is being spent, I'd love to have a conversation with you about that. The best way to become an initial giver is to choose an amount or a percentage and make it a habit. You know, whether you get a paycheck or you draw from your business or whatever it is to give first. Not, not second or third, but right off the top, give back to the Lord Jesus Christ through Genesis. Now, not only do you give first, but you give consistently. You know, whether it's each month, each week, uh, two times a month, however you, get, however you earn your money, uh, whatever works best for you. Well, you need to make it a habit. I tell you up front, for some people, this is going to be hard. Uh, you'll be tempted to give in. Now, I know last year when we had our tithe challenge at the church, um, I had a friend of mine email me about uh, six weeks in, and he said, Steve, it's hard. I need help. I need support. And I started like sending him verses and sending him stories and telling him all kinds of things. And, and it helped him get through it because it's, it's hard. You'll be tempted to give in. You've got to stick with it. And that's why you have to be consistent. You know, if you're consistent with your giving and it comes right out of your checking account like it does for me, you don't miss it. Now, don't expect an immediate result. Remember that growth takes time, all right? In the same way that if you wanted to be really strong, you wouldn't go to the gym today and try to pick up a 500-pound barbell uh, because you know that wouldn't end well, right? Um, in the same way, you've got to develop those generosity muscles. It, it takes time. It takes consistency. It takes re repetition. 
Uh, giving does things for your heart, though. And if you stick with it, you're going to see and experience great things. So give first, give consistently. Also, we think it's important to give in a measurable way. You know, give in a way that you can measure or account for. And we offer a number of convenient ways to do this. The, the easiest, uh, safest, most secure is to do it online at genesischurch.me. That's how my family and I uh, give back to our church every month. Uh, the day after my paycheck goes in the bank, um, our, our money comes off the top. Uh, you can give through our website. Now, more and more people are doing this. Uh, but that's not how you have to do it. If you're not comfortable with computers, or you don't like you like to keep track of your money, or you like to feel dollar bills in your hand. We have uh, offering envelopes in the back of the chair, in the back of the seats. Uh, you can uh, put some money in there, write your name on there. We'll keep track of it for you. Um, uh, the other way you can do it is through a check. You can drop it by uh, in the offering when it comes by here in a little bit. Uh, we in- encourage you to do that for a couple reasons. One, because your giving is tax deductible. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd rather have my money go to the church than to the government. Um, second, because it helps you uh, realize how you're growing in this area. And you keep track of something, and then you can realize if you're giving away more year after year after year. It's one of my favorite things about doing my taxes is seeing how much I gave over the last year. It's an opportunity to see how you're growing and trusting in your life. Now, I know for some of you, this is a big step. You know, just to get on the ladder is a challenge. I'm going to tell you it's worth it. I mean, for those of you who started and stuck with it, you've enjoyed trusting God and honoring him with your finances, but they've also enjoyed, you know, contributing to this work through Genesis Church. People are finding their way back to God. We're making an eternal difference for people. Don't miss an opportunity to be a part of it. Now, I know many of you already give, and I told you that there's a challenge for everyone. And so if you're already giving on a regular basis to the ministry of Genesis Church, I want to challenge you to step two. And step two is to become a proportional giver. A proportional giver is someone who moves beyond giving to someone who gives a tithe or a tenth. That word tithe, that simple word tithe, uh, simply means tenth. It's someone who gives a tenth of his or her financial resources back to God uh, through a church. Leviticus 27.30 says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain or from the soil or fruit or from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And so the idea here is that the tithe, the first tenth, isn't even ours that it belongs to God. And so um, when, when people say that, I always try to correct people in a loving way when they say, I give a tithe because you can't give a tithe. It doesn't belong to you. That's like me saying, I'm going to give you Cameron's car. It wouldn't work very well because it's not my car, right? And so we, we return a tithe or we tithe, but we can't give a tithe because it belongs to the Lord. Malachi 3.10 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And so in the Old Testament, the tithe, or 10%, was viewed as a bare minimum for giving to eternal things. But then Jesus came on the scene. And what did he do? Well, he never spoke against the tithe. Well, we'll talk to that in a minute. But he, talked about the, he pointed to the tithe as a short-term goal for our giving and a starting point for even greater generosity. And so if someone's ready to give and they say, well, how much should I give? I would say that a good goal for you in the short term would be 10%. I have a friend that says generosity starts at 10%. Again, with this idea that the first 10th belongs to God anyway. So generosity begins on top of that. And so I think that 10% should be your short-term goal for a starting place. Now, if you're biblically savvy, you might say, well, you know, the tithe is really from Old Testament law and uh, we're not under the law anymore. And I say, praise God for that. But it may surprise you to know that the tithe actually predates the law. 
there was tithing far before there were any commandments from God about how to live. In fact, um, the first tither in, recorded in the Bible is Abraham. Abraham and his uh, men won a battle, and they took the spoils, and Abraham gave a tenth of those spoils to a priest called Melchizedek. This is 600 years before God gave the law to the nation of Israel. So tithing has been part of God's culture all along. And then Jesus comes along and he was very careful not to reject the idea of a tithe, but to add to it. He said, uh, you should have done that. You should have tithed, but you should have done all these other things as well. And then when we get a look at the first church in the New Testament, they weren't just giving 10%. They were selling everything, houses and land and, and food so that everybody would have what they needed. That was the New Testament model of generosity. No one would go without. I know some of you, I can see it uh, in your head. You're doing the calculations and you're, you're thinking the thought of giving you 10% makes you really, really uncomfortable. And sometimes life means doing uncomfortable things. I mean, just like if you had a toothache, uh, you would get that tooth pulled before it caused more trouble, right? To spare you pain in the future. Now, Paul said, don't be arrogant. You know, don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put your hope in the Lord. And one of the ways we demonstrate our hope is through our giving. So a proportional giver, one who tithes, says, Lord, I trust you. I want to be a part of your work. You know, I'm inviting you to do even greater things in my life, and I know that I'm confident that you will provide for me. Are you up for that challenge? I mean, as a way of demonstrating what's going on in your heart and your desire to be rich in generosity, I'll I'll take the step to tithe. Now, I told you last year, uh, if you were here for our series called The Ladder, that uh, my wife and I have been giving or have been tithing, at least tithing, uh, for the last 10 years now, but that that didn't come easy. It took us uh, four or five years to get there from the time we first gave something to the church. But I have to tell you, I have zero regrets about the money I've given away. I mean, it's made all the difference in my life and our marriage and in my relationship with the Lord. I mean, I know that we are laying up a firm foundation uh, for the life that truly matters. I'm making an eternal difference, and so many of you are too. So what if you're already there? You've become an initial giver. Uh, you're tithing now. Uh, what's the next step? Well, we've got a step for you too, and it's this. Step three is to become a generous giver. A generous giver is someone who moves on beyond 10%. A generous giver is someone who realizes it's no longer about 10%, but it's now about 100%. It's about everything. By that, I, I don't mean you give 100% of your income to the church. That's not what I mean. What I mean is you recognize that it all comes from God. It all belongs to him. You think I'm joking, but I have to tell you, I've met these people. I know them. Some of them are sitting next to you. You know, they're fascinating people. They have incredible faith and hope and and a great outlook on generosity, and it's so encouraging. And they love the challenge of giving. It's almost like a game for some people. Like, like what's next, God? What, What else can I do? You know, what more can I do to honor you? They know they can't outgive God. And so they've got all kinds of stories and examples to share of um, where it's been a blessing in their life. And I know some of you are ready to take this step and, and be a generous giver. You're ready to move beyond tithing and to even greater things. And if that's you, let me challenge you in, in uh, these three ways, okay? Uh, number one is this. Would you consider raising your percentage that you give to Genesis Church by 1% of your income? You know, I committed to you last year that my wife and I, um, are willing to raise our giving every year by 1% of our income. And so we did that last year. Uh, we're going to do that again this year. I'm going to tell you how we're going to do that in just a minute. But, but that's what we committed to you. And, and last year, we raised our giving to Genesis Church by 1%. 
Uh, and so uh, that's one way you can do it. Number two is this. Would you start giving to um, our partner ministries? So you say, I'm already giving uh, a tithe to Genesis Church. I want to give more. Maybe you start giving to people like Nehemiah Vision Ministries in Haiti or Shepherd Community Center in Indianapolis or Movement Church or, or one of the other places that we support. Uh, maybe you don't like any of those, but you have your own personal uh, ministries that you support, people like Young Life or Crew or um, you know, uh, people like that. Uh, and so that's a great way to move beyond uh, a tenth is to get into ministries that you're passionate about. Or the third way is this, and this is what my family and I have decided to do. We talked about it this week. Um, I hate giving series or giving uh, messages almost as much as you do because they always challenge me. What are, Steve, what are you going to do next? And so here's what we've decided to do. Um, starting last month, uh, this month, um, I'm taking 1%, an additional 1% of my paycheck, and we are putting it in a jar um, for our entire family to give away. And so we're looking for needs around us. And we don't have a specific need for that, but we're going to take a tenth of my paycheck and we're going to put it in a jar. And when a need comes up in our community, uh, in our school, you know, we hear about somebody who needs shoes or a neighbor that's refrigerator went out or somebody needs a furnace. Um, we're just going to take that money and give it to them. And we're going to decide as a family how to do that and make it a fun project for me and my family. Now, here's why we're doing that. Because um, I don't want to just be generous personally or have my wife and I be generous. We want to make a legacy. We want to create that legacy for our kids. I saw that at Molly's funeral, like this, this family that just saw how generous she was and wanted to be generous themselves. And so that's what we're going to do this year. I'm going to take that 1% and put it in a jar. Now, here's what I don't want. I don't want you to hear these stories on my giving as me bragging or uh, making much of our financial habits. I only want to tell you these things because I want to be transparent with you guys. Uh, I want you to see into my life and my heart and hear the struggle, first of all, that it is for us to be more generous, but also, too, to tell you that I'm not willing to ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do. And so I think you need to hear that. And and look, I wouldn't want you to take any of these steps out of guilt because in the same way, it's not a good idea to climb the economic ladder because of greed. It's not a good idea to climb the generosity ladder because of guilt. Because if guilt is your driving force for making you give more, as soon as the guilt goes away, the generosity goes away. Instead, you should take the next step out of gratitude. You know, gratitude that God is the most generous giver of all. He provides everything we need to survive, but even more than that, he gave his one and only son so that we could be in a relationship with him. What a great gift. I mean, no matter how hard you try, you'll never be able to outgive God. And believe me, I know people who have tried. King David reminds us of what it means to be a generous giver in uh, 1 Chronicles 29. It says, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel. From everlasting to everlasting, yours, Lord, is the greatness and power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and we praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. You know, David was a generous giver. He realized that it all belonged to God. Because of that, he lived his life, a life of generosity. Genesis Church, I can't thank you enough for your generosity. 
The gospel is being shared. People are coming to Christ. You're helping people find their way back to God. You're making an eternal difference in this world, and in doing that, you are storing up treasure for yourself as a firm foundation for the age to come. But there's more to do. Our work here is not done yet. It's not going to be completed until Jesus returns. So here's my challenge for you this week. What's your next step? Are you ready to become an initial giver and start giving something on a regular basis? Are you ready to become a proportional giver and start giving a tithe if you're not already there? Or are you willing to become a generous giver and up that percentage that you're giving? Jesus is going to return. And Paul reminds us of our work in the meantime. It's the secret to being rich. Paul says, I command you, be, be rich in good deeds, rich in generosity, and willing to share. Would you pray with me? God, our Father, we just uh, thank you so much that you are a generous giver. We thank you for everything in our lives, and we realize that it all comes from you. And when we have that perspective that we don't own it, it becomes easier to be generous. And so we just pray that, God. We know that um, money has a hold on us sometimes, and uh, money is important, and it's a great tool. But God, we just repent of the times when we've held on to that as the answer to our problems. God, we want to give it up to you. We want to set our hearts on you and your kingdom first, God. We realize that while we may think we need money and need possessions to survive, what we really need is you and your love. And so we just, uh, we pray that. We ask for more of you in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.